Welcome to Season 3 of the M-W Tactical Podcast. Sit back and enjoy the conversations of the mad scientist and myself as we discuss the sport of shooting, goals, training, and everyday life. You are listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. All right, good people, we're back at it. Another installation of the M-W Tactical Podcast. And like always, we want to thank everyone who listens to the show in the nation and abroad. So for everyone who listens, we give you a big two thumbs up. We really do appreciate it. This week's show is sponsored by Hunter HD Gold. Their tagline is, they change so you don't have to. And to be honest... The mad scientists, Dave and myself and Coach B, we all wear Hunter HD goals. And ever since I got accustomed to them, because it wasn't an overnight switch for me, it took about two or three days. I I live by them now. So and then of course we'll get the other two perspective when we get to their introduction portion of it also. Also, we want to go ahead and remind everyone the South Carolina section is taking place 30 April through 2 May and registration is open now. Head on over to practice score and look for 2021 South Carolina sectional championship and go ahead and register. It's taking place in Belton, South Carolina on 30 April through 2 May. Registration is open now. Also, we do want to remind everyone that we have a GoFundMe that's going on. The first GoFundMe that we have going on is we are making a professional movie. And that's going to be the behind the scenes task of what we're doing to get ready for a match, how we actually prepare mentally, physically, our eating habits, conversations, day-to-day activities. So you get to watch Coach B actually blowing the whistle and bossing me around you actually get to see me hitting Dave up, asking a ton of questions. You get to see me at the gym. You might get to see Dave running around in his backyard, dog chasing <laughs> him and everything. Probably. <laughs> and then um, on top of that, we're going to have interviews from other people um, within the shooting community as well. So as we already stated beforehand, bringing in the co-host. The first co-host we're going to bring in is the lady of M-W Tactical. Of course, I say she's mean. I say she's bossy. And then she always says, what do you mean? Everybody thinks she is this kind, gentle flower, but I beg to differ. So I want to welcome Coach B to the M-W Tactical podcast again. What's up, B? Hi, Michael. Hi, Dave. There you are. Yay. So I gave the introduction that I think you mean because people don't see the behind the scenes stuff of you trying to push me down the stairs and you trying to trip me and all this other <laughs> nonsense you be doing. <laughs> when I say it to people, everybody be like, no way. So Because they know the truth. Oh, mm-hmm. Lord. She's trying to take me out the game. That's what the truth is. <laughs> trying to take it's me out. It's all you. It's all you. <laughs> yeah. So, um, how have your week been? Um, my week's been pretty good. Um, work has kind of calmed down a little bit. Um, so just hanging in there, um, trying to study, do what I need to do to meet my goals. 
Hey, that's it right there. Um, obviously, you did make a mention that you are shooting a match this weekend with Pontucky. Yes, I'll be shooting Pontucky on Saturday. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'll see you there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Taking a little break from studying my little personal goals that I got, but um, I'm gonna shoot a match just to. I guess if I still got it, maybe. I don't know. Hey, that's it. As long as you're having fun with it, that's all that matters, right? That's right. Yeah. So anything else been going on with you? No. No. That's yeah. pretty much it. That was it? All right. Cool. Um, but we got an interesting topic um, we want to cover later on in the show well, before the commercial break. So we can hit it up two or three ways, but... Um, I think it's pretty interesting to you as well, you know, talking about USPSA rule changes. Right. So um, I'm going to dive into that a little bit, you know, before and after the commercial break. Um, but let's go ahead and bring in um, the mad scientist. So, of course, y'all know Dave is my buddy, the co-hostess with the mostest, the man with the tools, the man who always bells me out when the firearm tends to go down he actually calms me down and say it was a quick fix all i had to do was do this do that and now i'm back in action you know so without further ado my man the mad scientist himself dave what's going on dave what's up mike usually all you have to do is put gun butter on it (laughs) that's that's what you say right yeah (laughs) goes back to working again hey that's it right there so um how, how has your week been been okay it's been super busy but i've been uh i've been getting more focused on my shooting um with the major matches coming up even though it's been busy i've been able to to kind of keep it separate in my head and um getting in a lot more practice uh more dry fire i'm shooting a lot more matches now um just got finished shooting a lot of classifier matches um been feeling i've been feeling better i've been able to get more focused um you know, working on some more goals here. So I had a pretty good week. So what it sounds like is to tune you in into that zone a little bit, you got to put more on your plate because it seemed like when you had less on your plate, you wasn't as focused, but now it seems like you're razor focused. Maybe. I don't know. I've just, (laughs) my focus has kind of shifted a little bit, I think. Gotcha. Just just a little different direction, but. I don't feel bad. Um, Coach B actually said to me yesterday that, um, and she actually reiterated something I said to her a year ago about where I wanted to be at. So, and I was like, okay, that kind of hit home a little bit. So I'm about to turn it up myself, you know, as far as the dry fire and all the, the practice sessions I used to do, turn it back up to at least try to do three or four a day again. Three or four a day. Gosh. Yeah. But you know, I'm, you know, I don't really do much. So. <laughs> That's time. just tough. That's <laughs> tough. My hands are actually hurting. Uh, I've been I've been dry firing twice a day. Yeah. And uh, I man, man, I have calluses, but my calluses are sore. So the calluses got calluses. <laughs> yeah. I'm not bleeding, but but my hands are definitely sore. Yeah. For me, um, now when I say three or four sessions a day, each session is only thirty minutes. You know, 30, 35 minutes. It doesn't okay. go over that. But it, now, when I first started, I was trying to do um, hour sessions, right? a couple hours a day. And I was like, you know, that's too much. I was legitly losing focus. So 
when I actually broke it down to 30 minutes and doing multiple sessions a day, um, I felt like that was way better for me. And um, I saw a vast improvement, you know, um, until I slowed that down and then I got back into it. Then I slowed it down again and got busy doing other things as well. You know, so outside of that, um, we did do a giveaway for those who did not partake or tuned in or even knew about it. When we gave it, we did a giveaway on Wednesday that just passed and it was pretty interesting. It was fun. I had fun with it. I thought it was fun. Um, What was your take on it, um, Coach B? I liked it. Um, I I think I'd like the live better, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. Getting people to, you know, comment and I've I've never done that before. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, If anything, I mean, we can possibly do a live show probably once or twice a month, but to be honest, the show is actually revolved around everybody's schedule. So it's kind of get in where you fit in. Right. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So between the travel and work schedules, you know, like me, it's just traveling. But for you and the mad scientists, work is equated in there. So we got to dance around that. Right. And um, it can be fun. It can be stressful. Like, I mean, I've done both ends of the spectrum of it. <laughs> so, I think but, just having the interaction, like with the, the audience, the audience, yeah, you know, their comments and you react into that. I think that's yeah, like, what caught me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's fun. Like I said, it's fun, especially like um, when I'm on other people's shows and they're doing live shows the interaction with the audience, like you said, that is what makes it, especially if you're already high energy, it adds to it, which equates to more fun down the road. Right. You know, so, um, but we, we gave away a few items. So the gun cleaners, they actually sponsored the giveaway with two boxes of their bore box. And it's a cleaning kit that has a microfiber rag, the cleaning toothbrush, and their gun cleaner and the gun solvent well not the gun solvent but it's called the solvent but um and then it's like a little bottle with the needle nose applier to it you know so they gave two boxes of that um so we gave that for the second and third place winner the second place winner also received the m-w tactical shirt with the box and then the first place winner was the free shooting spot that Blazon received for the South Carolina section. And they didn't have anybody they were shooting in the spot. So they said that we can give it away to somebody. So we decided to go ahead and do that little trivia contest and do the giveaway for it. It was cool. I'm glad that we were able to give away that spot. And uh, who was it that, who, who won the, uh, the SC sectional spot? Okay, so third place, which was the gun cleaners bore box, was Alex Mansfield. All right, so for those of you who are asking what is the bore box, head on over to theguncleaners.com, look at the items they have for sale, and you will see the bore box and what it looks like. So you will actually get a box with all the stuff I mentioned previously in that box. Second place, now beforehand, 
Alex lives up north in Michigan. I think it is. I think it's Michigan. If I'm wrong on that, Alex, please correct me so I can correct it the next time on the show. And actually, I'm going to reach out to him and bring him on to the show um, so we can actually have a conversation with him as well. Second place was Ryan Lee. So Ryan Lee is local in the area here in um, South, South Carolina. So he ended up winning the board box and the M-W tactical shirt. And then first place was the free shooting spot for the South Carolina section, which Alex Mansfield won that again, you know. And even though he lives up north, he said he won't be able to make it down for the match because um, he had like a multitude of things that had to be taken care of. He um, stated that he wanted to donate his spot to a junior shooter. So I've already passed that information on to Lucky. And right now, Lucky is trying to figure out how he can make that happen or who he can give it to. You know, so congratulations to those two parties that won the M-W Tactical Trivia giveaway that we did on Wednesday. And we're going to do something like that again here within the next upcoming weeks, meaning months. So probably next month or the month after we'll probably do another giveaway of some such. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, so I thought it was fun. I, I had a lot of fun doing that. So Coach B, now you said you had a lot of fun because it was the live aspect. Now, you don't even want the camera on you, but you just like the live interaction. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking maybe at some point we'll do the camera, maybe. Um, but yeah, I do like the, um, I just like the live interaction. Um, just reading the comments and people comment back and I mean, just going kind of back and forth. Um, yeah. I, I just, I liked it. Yeah. So like I said, it is a lot of fun um, when you turn around and you do stuff like that. But um, one thing about it, a lot of times people will say stuff and it will throw you off guard. You know, <laughs> yeah. so and like for instance, I was on somebody's show one time and it, I was getting comments. I mean, I'm literally reading the comments and it was like, "Oh, you're hot. Take your shirt off." and stuff oh, like that. Really? Yeah, and I'm sitting there like, uh, uh when they ask me a question, I'm like, "Uh, uh." <laughs> and I, I had to like zone back in <laughs> cuz it threw me off guard. Like, I was like, well, "What do you do? What do you say like that?" I don't ever have to worry about stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> but um that show that I was on, the host, um he played into it. So that's why like now when you see me go on this show, he always says, okay, the ladies like Mike. So, you know, what, what you going to do, or let's talk about this. And I'll be like, no, no, no. <laughs> so that's, that was the backstory um, behind that. Maybe we could start coach B out on video, like um, one of the witnesses on America's most wanted or something, you know, like, like <laughs> you're sitting in a chair and it's all silhouette. You're all black and you got a backlight behind you. You can't really tell who you are. Hey, that, that's it oh <laughs> like i was actually surprised that like she'll record herself shooting the matches you know have no problem posting those videos um every now and then she'll do something where she's talking on the microphone you know but it isn't like the camera is on her but of course you know you got the video you know that's 
dubbing, you know, with the voice. But like, even like if I remotely move my hand close to the camera, you'll see her start like leaning. <laughs> like, okay, I'm about to run. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny though. So, I mean, I get it. I get it because as I stated beforehand, when I was early in my military career, I was always ashamed of talking in front of people. And of course, I had supervisors who saw that. And before you knew it, they just threw me in a fire. And I was constantly giving briefings in front of other people until it didn't even bother me no more. So talking in front of people, it don't bother me anymore. Yeah, well, I did. I didn't. I never liked it either. Um, but yeah, that kind of thing, eventually you just kind of, I don't know, like most things, I guess you get used to it if you do it enough. And just another thing. Now, have you ever had to give a presentation in high school or something? Hmm. And like for me, I remember this one presentation I had to do. I was like in eighth grade, maybe seventh or eighth grade. And I swear I had to change my shirt. That's how much I sweat. <laughs> I mean, I was that nervous and that scared. And I don't even know what I said in the briefing, even if I briefed what I was supposed to brief. Have you ever had a situation like that? Yeah. And whenever I was in school, I had a, um, a retainer that I had to wear from having braces. And it was actually looked kind of like a um, mouthpiece, like you would wear for um, football or something. Oh, no. And um, I didn't have to wear it during the day. But whenever I knew that I was supposed to present, I would wear it and tell the teachers that I couldn't take it out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, talking in front of people, that was that was a no-go for me. And then in college, I had to take a class, um, um, public speaking class. Okay. Yeah, that was the worst. Um, I missed a couple days. Oh, <laughs> man. I think uh, one of my college classes, it was public. I don't really remember it, though. But by that time, I was already accustomed to talking in front of people. You know, so it, it was nothing for me just to put together a presentation and go up and talk. But um, like I said, I, I vaguely remember that. I remember taking it. I just vaguely remember. It, it didn't stand out as much as other classes. Mm -hmm. I put it like that, you know. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's go ahead and dive into this commercial break and then come on back and let's hit up these main talking points. And one of the main talking points I do want to hit up are the rule changes for USPSA. Now, I purposely didn't talk about them last week because it was a few things I heard that I was unclear about and I wanted to take a little bit of time and dive into a little bit more researching to see you know, what was what before we talked about it and then I don't wanna put out bad information you know, or incorrect information, so, but I want to go ahead and dive into this and um, start a talking point about that as well. I'm going to have to read them over the commercial break. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it is a few of them. That's pretty interesting, but you know, it is what it is, but I think it's for progress for the sport overall. But um, then we um, want to go ahead and talk a little bit about 3d printing and we have an interview section with Rob Pincus. And, you know, we talk a little bit about the evolution of the shooting community and dove into a little bit of 
3D printing within the gun community. So, um, but when we get to that point, you know, it was, it's, it's going to be a two-part conversation to let you know straight up. Um, but we didn't even dive into half of the stuff that we wanted to cover. But that's going to be a two-part conversation, you know, coming up in um, the upcoming weeks as well. But for everybody else, let's go ahead and um, turn your radios up. If you're in your vehicle, put your seatbelts on tighter, roll up the windows, turn your ACs up or heater, depending on where you are in the country. And here are a few words from our sponsors. Mental health and guns. At Walk the Talk America, we are working with both the mental health community and the gun industry. Created by a gun industry veteran, Walk the Talk America seeks to raise awareness and create change through suicide prevention and firearm safety without legislation. We strive to eliminate the prejudice that firearms and mental health face. For more information and to support Walk the Talk America, please visit walkthetalkamerica.org. JM4 Tactical has developed a state-of-the-art polymer holster that will quickly become your go-to holster. With high-quality Hermit Oak leather, securely sewn to the interior of the molded outer Bolteron shell, your draw becomes silent and no more scratches up and down your firearm. When seconds count, you can rest assured that you will have the upper hand when you need it most. Whether you carry open or concealed, the Relic Holster is available in four different models, fitting over hundreds of different style guns. The new reliable, easy, light, individual carry holster by JM4 Tactical. Order your Relic today at jm4tactical.com. What's up, good people? This is Michael Woodland from M-W Tactical. This is Coach B from M-W Tactical. And we are asking for your help with two GoFundMe campaigns that we have started. The first one is we are making a professional movie, and it's going to be about our day-to-day life within the sport of shooting. Details about this campaign can be found by visiting GoFundMe.com forward slash we are making a professional movie. The second campaign, we are asking for you to donate to give financial assistance for those who cannot financially get the training they deserve. Remember, there are a lot of first-time gun owners out there, and I am asking for everyone in the gun industry to come together and make our community stronger. For more details, visit GoFundMe.com forward slash free firearms training. Remember how important training is to keep everyone informed and safe. All right, good people, we're back at it again. And thank you for sitting through that commercial break. And if anything, please go pay those commercial um, contributors a visit and give them a thumbs up and tell them you heard about, you know, their advertisement on the M-W Tactical Podcast. Um, Coming off the break, as we stated beforehand, I wanted to hit up a few topics. And one of these topics I wanted to hit up was the USPSA rule changes. And... There's a lot of talk that I've seen on certain communities on Facebook and different places on the web that actually was expressing these rule changes. And some people looking at them kind of like down on them. Other people are looking like, hey, this is the best thing. My personal opinion, everything I read, I think is pushing the sport forward 
in a positive direction. So I haven't seen anything that's negative, but then again, all the rule changes that I've seen, I've only shot limited and I don't really know how it's going to affect other divisions, you know, without fully knowing how the other divisions operate. Um, what's your thoughts on that there, Dave? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know. I mean, it is definitely could appeal to certain shooters who, um, you know, may have a certain setup carry carry wise with um, flashlights being added as an option in uh, carry optics in production, is it? Or just carry optics? I can't remember now. Um, I think when I was reading it, I, it was focusing on carry optics, but I don't know if it was using carry optics as the example, but okay. I think you can do it in single stack also. So pretty much all across the board, maybe. Okay. Well, I think it is across the board. Is it? No. I know they made um, some mag pouch and holster changes across the board. I wasn't sure about the flashlights, but either way, I mean, you carry, um, I carry all my carry guns have flashlights on them. Um, you know, in, in order for me to use my carry gun at a USPSA match, it would have to be in the open division, which is fine with me because the only reason that I would want to shoot my carry gun is just for practice, just to get some reps in and some rounds down range with it. But I know that I would not be competitive in open division with my carry gun. There's completely different you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. I, but I know that going into it and I wouldn't really care. But by allowing it in other divisions like carry optics and maybe production, it would kind of, you would still possibly be competitive in those divisions. Maybe even more so that some, some people are arguing that now because you, the flashlights will add weight to the, to the front of the, the gun, which can help tame some, some muzzle rise. Yeah, and that's the only thing I can really think of to push somebody in carry optics to open division is the flashlight will add a little bit of weight, but is it really that much weight to say you're going to open division or does it give you that much of an advantage to say, okay, you're going to open division? Uh, I don't know. You know my, so. my carry gun also has a compensator on it. So it, it's good <laughs> to be considered an open gun anyway. And I'm fine yeah. with that, but that would the compensator still puts you in open. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And, and guys have been using weighted flashlights in limited division for years. And, and that's not a new thing. Um, that's, you know, they'll hollow out a flashlight and fill it with lead or, right. or tungsten powder or something to add weight to it. Um, oh, well, that answers that question then. Um, the flashlight have to be functional. So in order yeah, for that, that, that's part of the though. new rule, <laughs> the, the new light hat or the new rule that says the light has to be functional and to, to what, you know, aspect of functionality are they looking for? It just has to admit light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm sure that'll probably be gamed by someone. Yeah. Notice. What's your take on that um, coach B by being an RO and the new rule change, not saying, I don't know what your knowledge is or how much you read up on it, but what is your take on that one change right there? Well, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen anyone with a flashlight on their firearm whenever we've shot. Yeah, or maybe either. Maybe I just didn't notice, um, but I don't think I've seen anyone. Yeah, all the matches that we've, well, my whole time shooting, I've yet to see anybody shoot with a flashlight 
in USPSA. Now, I do know that there was one person, and this was when I was in Alabama, who showed up and he had the flashlight, but people was talking to him about the rules and of course it's going to bump him up and then he took it off and then he got another holster and then he ran it out the other holster, but he was still doing it um, concealed because he didn't have the proper rig to do it, but they did let him shoot it concealed. Right. I think that's a good thing as far as like those who are new to shooting, just want to try it out, see what it's all about. And instead of investing into another firearm just for that purpose, if their carry gun has a flashlight on it, now they can just use that to see if it is something that they truly yeah. want to do. Well, I honestly think if if you're shooting USPSA and you're using it from the conceal aspect, I don't think it's going to give you that much of an advantage. So I don't know what the big deal is about talking about it. You know what I'm saying? Because once again, there's an extra action you have to do you know, even oh, though you, a, you might be fast with it, but you still have to do an extra action compared to just yeah hand on a firearm from concealment you know, yeah. and extend it and shoot. It's a and, disadvantage. Yeah, it's, it's put you at a disadvantage. Yeah. But like I said, just listening to that rule change is like it's too much discussion, especially when you're saying somebody's shooting it from an EDC standpoint. Right. You know, so I, I don't see the advantage. And now, like I said, I've seen people do it who were fast, but first shot and follow-on shots is normally not what you would expect it to be with that speed because now it's like okay the first one I moved too fast I realized what I got to do slow it down or sights on target and then go back and do it you know and I seen somebody do that at shot show one time it was a demonstration and they came out too fast and they hit the delta but then they slowed themselves down and then they came back with the two alphas there's been a I think maybe two guys in USPSA that have made a GM classification from concealment. Yeah, that's, that's awesome that, right there. That's, super determined to do it, man. It, it really puts you at a disadvantage having to clear your cover garment and, you know, draw from appendix. Drawing from appendix is still pretty quick, but yeah. you have it covered up with your shirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. yeah. Depending on how you grab the shirt or how you actually – move the shirt to get your hand on that firearm that's a lot of practice and a lot of skill right there Hopefully you can do it's your it but yeah. shirt too so right <laughs> it's certainly not an advantage but it does bring people in that may you know already have the gear set up. a lot of law enforcement right. um are going to you know have gear with with holsters for flashlights and that sort of thing and and that's always kind of been an, an exception with some law enforcement guys right you're allowed to shoot uh, with duty gear but you know mm -hmm. um, other situations you know if you have a light on your gun you have a holster set up for it you can come now and, and shoot and, and be competitive in a in a minor power factor division uh, carry right. optics or production now um there was another rule change in there and the way it read to me was every division will allow you to have magnetic retention on your pouches that's how it read to me maybe i read it too fast or i didn't read it clear enough but if i'm incorrect please correct me um, i think that's what it says too i think that's what i read yeah, magnets so, are now allowed yeah because um, actually what i was going to do was i was just going to get one magnet and have that my make ready magnet 
you know, so like, of course, mm-hmm. when I drop the magazine, I can put it on the magnet. Of course, if it hit the magnet, okay, I got to put more rounds in it because there's been a few times when I'm sitting there talking and I forget to load the magazines. <laughs> well, know? that's exactly what I use my magnet for. I have a magnet. I keep it on a, my back of my belt. I don't actually use it during the match, mm-hmm. but when I unload and show clear, that mag comes right out of my gun and I stick it on the magnet. It does not go back in my mag pouch because I made that mistake one time I put a, (laughs) and and then I got a magnet. (laughs) I made that mistake. I unload show clear and had a, you know, half empty magazine. I stuck back in my mag pouch, forgot about it, went to shoot the next stage, reloaded to a, I don't even know how many rounds there was half, half the capacity uh, in, you know, in the magazine and ran dry in the middle of my stage. (laughs) <laughs> because I put a used magazine back in my mag, mag pouch. I only did that one time. Yeah. I bought a magnet, and now every time it comes out of my gun, it goes straight to the magnet. Doesn't go back in the mag pouch until I've reloaded it. Well, I think I have a um, pretty good system in place. So now, what actually happens if the magazine touches the ground? If I don't touch it, Coach B normally picks it up, right? And then she puts it like some place where as a, okay, I know I have to load that if she hasn't already loaded it, but I would normally tell her like, okay, for this stage, I'm loading this a certain way, you know, how it makes sense in my mind. Um, but for her, I do the same exact thing. Whenever she drops it, I'll pick it up if she didn't already pick it up and I'll put it a certain place. So I'll be like, it's right there. And then she'll do whatever she has to do. But majority of the time after I shoot a match and when the magazine hits the ground, the dirt is already loose anyway. So I got to take the magazine apart and get yeah. the dirt out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, kind of forces to do a reload in a sense of speaking also. Um, what other, um, oh, then the position of the belts. Uh, I think we already hit that. Whereas it kind of allows my take on it. The belt position allows you to set your belt for all the divisions. So all you got to do is change your gun out, if anything if you're using the same magazines and which does open up for people to shoot EDC. Yeah. There were, there was also an exception for women in, in some circumstances because they're, you know, their lower bodies built different hips are, are built different. And some of the previous uh, positional requirements were kind of hard to meet for some women just because of the body structure. Right. So they were, um, you know, the, and they were also allowed to position mm. things a little differently at times. And, and that was always a question or could have been a question. And now it's, it's not anymore. Nobody has to worry about that anymore. You put your gear on your belt, you know, put your mags where you want them, where they fit, where they fit you, where you like them, whatever. It doesn't matter. You still have to have the grip of your belt, you know, or I'm sorry, the grip of your gun above the top of your belt um that hasn't changed you can't do a like a drop leg holster or something you know really low like that um i don't it it, i think the majority of these rules just make it easier for ro's uh in a lot of the aspects they're not questioning all the gear is this right is the placement right for this person did they ask for special permission any of that stuff what division are you shooting oh that mag's too far forward you know is that magnet allowed? Is the there any, you know, yeah, I don't know, man. There's so, there was so many differences between the divisions there. I, I'm sure people have shot through matches with the gear in the wrong place and nobody ever saw it. Yeah. 
and did it recorded at the last stage yeah i don't know did it really give him an advantage (laughs) i don't think so i mean put your gear where you want um it's not gonna make a difference well and like i was telling coach b after reading what i've read far as the rule changes and the videos we've seen and what it pretty much opens up to me is hey if you want to practice concealed carry you just got finished doing a concealed carry class you want to practice to see where your skill set is where the timer goes off meaning the bad guy kicked your door in or whatever go to a uspsa match you know because now you can shoot edc you know concealed carry in a uspsa match but do you i'm gonna have do to it be concealed is that what it's saying no, 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 it's saying no, you, have the you can just too. put it in that position, but you don't have to have it concealed. No, you can put a shirt behind it or you can put your shirt before okay. it. It doesn't matter. It just says right. appendix carry. Right. It, it's just because you can put it anywhere now. So, right. You know, so, I, I, like I said, that's how I look at it. Whereas now, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you want to practice the multitude of whatever you learned from whatever class you just done a week or so prior, go to a USPSA match and get the practice in. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I how I look at it. Right. You know, yeah. I'm going to shoot it. Um, I just actually had my EDC gun out um, with Soltac LLC is making a new holster for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I get it back, it's I'm, I'm going to shoot it at a match just just for practice purposes. Nice. Yeah. I'm going to shoot an open division. But, um, you know, if I took my compensator off, I could actually be competitive in another division. <laughs> but I don't really I'm just doing it for practice. I don't really care. Yeah, I think I, I'm think I'm going to do that as well. Pick like one match a month and just do something with the EDC concept behind it, you know, to stay relevant. And then, of course, it's the practice, you know. So how, how often do we get to practice on a trigger by doing competition all the time? But now let's practice the other um, asset of putting that extra barrier, you know, through the clothing mm-hmm. or around the clothing, however you want to look at it, you know. So um, moving forward, do you know much about 3D printing? And well, let me put it. Do you know anything about 3D printing? Uh, very little. Very little. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we have, we've looked into it a little bit with, with the work that I do. There are some companies that are doing metal 3D printing, and that's what we've looked into. It started, I believe, as a... Uh, great way to do some prototyping out of plastics and stuff like that right um as far as the technical aspects and how the stuff works i I don't really know much at all about it yeah no i'm not breaking it down all the way down to the very last compound but for me coach b mentioned you know something about a 3d printer not too long ago then ended up getting one right and of course you know just trying to figure out what to do with it and everything. I've already knew that I wanted to dive into making a custom handgun. But when I got 3D printer, before diving into anything like how to build stuff and using CAD, because you know, some people go to college for CAD. I did. Yeah, I didn't go to college for CAD. <laughs> um, but what I actually ended up doing was doing the research to understand how the 3D printer works from a hobbyist standpoint. So I've done a few things. And of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, right about now, you're going to see it blend in with some of the things that I've made as far as using the 3D printer. 
And there's a few objects around the house that I made. Like I made a tub drain that catches like hair and debris if you're taking a shower. Um, made a light stopper. So you know like how you have a light switch you don't want flick. And for me, it's my porch light and my floodlights. So if you go into the garage, you can flick the hall light on and accidentally hit the floodlights. Floodlights be on all day, all night until you walk outside and you see them or you look out the window, you see the lights on if it's dark outside. Um, made a few toys, you know, or I consider them toys for my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, made a fidget spinner, right? And then actually completed this little clock today. You know, so it's like six pieces printed off the printer, you put it together and there was no other tools. It was all off the filament and everything. So, and this right here is like a little functioning clock that it will help my daughter tell Tom because when she was um, here and we was working on Tom, um, me drawing the pictures, I don't think it really resonated with her. But if I had something like this, yeah, that's pretty it, cool. it would make more sense for her. So, um, you know, little stuff like that. And of course, you know, Coach B, she's actually looking through stuff and saying, hey, what about this? Or could you make me this? Actually, I made her some corner ends like the round, like when she does her little artwork and woodworking stuff, she can put it on there and draw the corners and everything. And I find it pretty interesting that something this simple and only costs what, uh, like 200 bucks maybe, uh, something like that. <laughs> and then um, the filament, you know, is like $25, but something like this, if you was to go to the store and buy something like this, it's going to charge you about 20 bucks. You oh, know, like I say, you do it yeah. yourself. But me and Rob um, Pincus, we was talking about the um, aspect of, you know, making, you know, the lower receiver, which is legal. Of course, if you read the laws, it says you can make mm-hmm. a firearm at your house. You just can't make a firearm at your house and give it to somebody or, nobody else can help you put it together. And if you do decide to sell that firearm, there's a process you have to go through to get it serialized through the ATF. Yeah. You know, so, um, but for, if I decide to make a firearm for myself and I'm not selling it and it's just my personal use, I can make the lower receiver here, you know, and put it together and have a firearm. One of the things that I've done to kind of tie tie into both conversations, the concealed carry and the 3D printing. <laughs> I had a um, uh, optic cover um, designed for my, my Holosone optic that has a little tab on the back that I've actually, at Soltac, he's already, I had this idea of attaching kind of like a paracord to the optic cover and to a section of the holster. So it would pull the optic cover off when, when you came out of the holster. Right. So it, I have a, so it's got a 3D printed optic cover that's attached to the holster that that pulls right off when you come out when you draw the gun. So nice. I mean, yeah, that's, so that's kind of neat. You you can do so much with this stuff, but then at the same time, <clears throat> like for instance, if you ever talk to Rob Pincus, and he says it in an interview that he's been dealing with firearms like for over 30 years, and at one point in his career with firearms. He decided to come up with his own firearm, you know, so doing the CAD aspect, he paid like over $100,000 to get where he was at. But then when he realized, oh, I can get a 3D printer 
and I can do all the stuff myself, print it out before sending it to a manufacturer. Say, hey, this is what we want, final, final product, <laughs> you know? Oh, it and, makes things so much easier yeah, for, from a manufacturer so standpoint. And then you, you're taking out so many people that's in the middle that you got to mm -hmm. deal with to even get to the final product. So one change, it might have to go through 30 different people before it comes back to you. You get the blessing when you can do it yourself, you know, if you're willing to dive into it from that aspect. What's your take on that, um, Coach B? With Rob? No, just the whole 3D, 3D printer. printer part. Um, it's been interesting. Um, there's a lot of cool things that can be made. Um, I like looking at it. Yeah, so she, she requested that I make this vase for her. And I was like, yeah. Now, one thing about the 3D printer is depending on the size of the object that you want to be made, it can take over 10 hours to make. So, you know, it's like an overnight process. You go to sleep, you wake up, hopefully it didn't mess up and it's waiting for you when you wake up, you know? So like the vase that she requested that she um, sent me the file for, it was 17 hours and it's like, practically halfway through right now, <laughs> you know, but I, I find it pretty interesting, you know, that something so simple and now it's also on a point where it could be so controversial because of course, people who don't understand the laws or don't know laws, but once again, you have a lot of people who are writing gun laws who know nothing about firearms. They're basing it off of what they read in the media, what they see in the movies, and now this is where the compression comes in at, you know? So when you hear them say the ghost guns, this is what oh, they're yeah. trying to attack with the ghost guns is the 3D printing and which is not the case, you know? But now they're, I'm pretty sure is somebody doing some dirtiness or illegalness with it. But just like anything else in life, there's always going to be that, 1% of the crowd that are doing something that is always. of a legal nature. Always. Even, you know? even before 3D printers, people were doing it. It's, yeah, exactly. It's not making it any easier for anyone. They're still going to do it. Oh, yeah. So as we already know, there's a couple gun law changes that are coming forth. And um, Ms. Feinstein actually proposed another um, ban on AR-15s. And I'm like, when would somebody actually sit down and have the conversation that the AR-15 is not what they keep saying that it's for? You know? It's a weapon of war. Yeah, they keep saying it's a weapon of war. <laughs> and the AR-15 was not made for purposes of war. And then, no, it never was. <laughs> the, the only weapons that were made for war was like the 50 cal um the 240 bravo or back then it was the m60 which is the pig and mm -hmm. the m249 which is the squad automatic weapon the saw you know that weapons like that were made for war we make some weapons of war yeah uh, where i work but <laughs> yeah the ar is not one of those yeah, the ar is not one firearms of them. that we <laughs> You know, so the concept from the AR-15 is nothing more than um, when you look at shooting and how everything evolves, the handgun 
and the AR-15 complements each other because it's pretty much like every, the controls are pretty much in the same area, whereas the only thing that is moving is your hand is from one area to the other area and you're just using a longer sight radius, you know, but it, it is not made for war. So if that's the case, then a hunting rifle, the Remington 700, right? <laughs> that was modified that, yeah, for exactly. sniper use in war. But it <laughs> but, was a hunting rifle, yeah, but it, it had off capabilities. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, come on now. And <laughs> the, <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're, we're starting to just reach now, reach now. You know, you know I, I picked up this AR-15. It was so heavy and the kickback was so no, you see that another is, video absolutely like not six years old shooting it. Well, that's one of the things that I like so much about it. It makes it so easy for most people to shoot. Handguns are terribly difficult to shoot for anyone. Correct. Um, you know, you can develop skill and ability with a handgun and be proficient with it. Most people cannot just pick one up for the first time shooting a gun and hit anything with a handgun. Right. Most people can do that with a rifle and the AR. It's super easy to shoot. There's almost no recoil. Most of them are made out of aluminum or composite of some sort. They're not heavy. They're lightweight. Um, they're, they're a great defensive tool. Um, not a weapon of war. <laughs> Yeah. So like I said, that, that always killed me, especially like when you get the whole, oh, the AR is assault rifle. No, that's not what the AR means. <laughs> arm, arm, arm light, arm of light, um, the company, you know, so let's do some research and let's figure it out, but let's not make it up and, you know, try to make it sound worse than what it really is because it's not what you're making it out to be, <laughs> you know, so. Yeah. It, it gets crazy, but um, once again, um, for everybody who will be impacted by these law changes, especially with the um, proposal that Ms. Feinstein, how do you say her name? Is it Feinstein or? Who cares? Yeah. Um, she's proposing a ban on AR-15s and a magazine ban um, of more than 10. You know, so this going to impact you. Um, please contact your elected representatives and, you know, make those phone calls, send those emails out. It's crunch time now. So, yeah, you have to let them know. It's not, this is not what you want. Yeah, um, so. the representatives are the ones who, that are going to vote on it. Yeah. And just like I was telling um, Beverly, you know, and this was like a couple weeks ago, let's take it the single mom or, the somebody who was in a domestic violence situation sure. yeah. they're not properly trained on a firearm but they have a firearm because it is your right to have one now somebody kicks in your door and of course the attacker they find you or whatever do you think they're taking a well-aimed shot on that they're spraying and praying yeah pretty much it you know so let's how fast can somebody just spraying and praying send off 10 rounds and before you know it you gotta put another magazine in if you have another magazine yeah. <laughs> you see what i'm saying so regardless of how that conversation goes it's always going to go worse the more you speak on it because now you're limiting the person who's defending themselves yeah I, and, and yeah, yeah there so. should not no, yeah. so no, now, <laughs> just yeah. no. What, what about another crisis that takes place 
when the police department actually puts it out like they did out in Texas, oh, we're not going to come to you for um, unless it's life, death, emergency. Yeah. But how do you know it's going to be life or death emergency <laughs> until it actually happens? Until you're dead. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. That, there it goes. We'll, we'll go to that one now. Yeah, I'm sitting there like, come on, man. Um, we're not even thinking right now. You know, uh, the powers that be or the people who are making the laws, they're not even thinking right now. So from a female perspective, what's your take on that there, Coach B? I feel just as you guys do, um, I feel like my magazine should hold however many I want. I shouldn't be limited. Right. Um, I got too many kids to protect. Um, so um, I should be able to, if I, mine holds 18, 18 it is. Um, don't limit me because you're not going to limit yourself. Those who are trying to make the rules, maybe they're different situation well they're definitely in a different situation than I would be um so don't limit me that's 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 where I'm at um I don't know now I've always said this the people who are making the laws of course when they go to work they're protected by someone with a firearm willing to take the fight out of their hand right right now, majority of these representatives, when they go back home, when they're away from D.C., they're living in gated communities or the plusher side of the city. Right. You know what I'm saying? So some of those representatives probably grew up in an environment like I grew up in, but I think a lot of them forgot where they came from. Right. They don't understand what the real struggle is and what people really have to do. Right. You know, so to limit somebody in that capacity to defend them, their life, their family, their property, right? Why would I want to put you at a disadvantage (laughs) for understanding that the bad guy is not playing by the rules, but you expect me to play by the rules and succeed when you're limiting me from the start? Right. The people who are guarding them, are they going to have just 10 rounds in their magazines? Probably not. Exactly. Mm-mm. So if that's the case, then why do that to me or to any other person? Um, I mean, you got single females out here with kids and, or just anybody and doesn't even matter gender, but mm-hmm. um, you should be able to protect yourself, period. Just as they're protected. These lawmakers who are making these laws that are ridiculous well it goes back into the um, fictional belief of security you know now i do believe there was a scare especially when that one politician got shot at the baseball game right now that was enough to say okay we're going to make sure we have protection around us you know at all times especially when we're working right that's a given But for you to have a fictional belief that, oh, we get rid of all the firearms, we say no more firearms, everybody's going to be safe. Now you're living in a false society right now Mm -hmm. because actually you get rid of You're living in Brazil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So right now, if you get rid of all the firearms, not only is it going to turn up crimes, but look how many jobs you are eliminating by getting rid of firearms altogether. 
Who who's gonna have all the firearms then? If you supposedly eliminate all the firearms, yeah. So now that goes back to the police force, and the military. Now and the criminals who already criminals. don't obey your yeah, gun laws. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, holy cow, man. So, I mean, if you sit down and you really think about it, um, I'm a firm believer in a few years ago when you had all those people after all the school shootings that. Uh, get rid of firearms. We don't need firearms. But then as soon as this um, pandemic hit, now you can't find a firearm. Right. So who's buying up all the firearms? The same people who probably never had a firearm or didn't believe in it. Oh, well, hold on. I just heard so-and-so who got robbed. Their house got broken into or, you yeah. know, two or three people just got robbed at Walmart for their groceries, not money, but for their groceries. <laughs> now it's a scare. Oh, now we need firearms. Right. Well, that, I I watch a lot. Yeah, I watch a lot of um, uh, badge cam footage on and, and other officer involved shootings just for training purposes and and looking at you know different situations to present the students and and for myself. Um, and I've seen several. Um, I'm not even sure how many uh, situations I've seen where an officer has made eight, nine. 10 good shots on the, on the suspect, on the individual and it not, and it not put him down. Yeah. Still coming at him. There was one not too long ago, whereas the guy, when he was coming at the cop, the cop kept telling him to stop, but it was like, he waited for the last possible moment to put 12 shots into the guy, you know, but once again, when somebody is coming at you, we can all sit right here. Oh, you pull your firearm out and shoot him. But of course, when you go to a detailed class, it ain't two shots and they're down. It's you keep putting shots into the person until they down, right? But then again, you don't know if the person's on drug. You oh, don't know sure. how their yeah. adrenaline is going to affect them. Because um, you know so, adrenaline does yeah. give you superpower strengths right. <laughs> in a sense of speaking. Yeah, so if you're not feeling pain, you're not doing any of that, all it is at that point is loss of blood. I mean, your blood pressure will eventually drop low enough to where you, you lose, you know, your muscle function, body right. function at that point, and then your body collapses. But if you have not hit, you know, some, some major arteries or something, some organs or something that's, you know, within the, those eight shots, it may take a while for your, that, you know, that suspect's uh, blood pressure to drop down to where, you know, where you're safe. And I've several situations. The last one actually I watched last week, this, this cop was trying to to help someone he was uh, um he was known to have uh some some mental in, mental in, instability he was out threatening people with a knife well he had two knives actually mm-hmm. and and the cop approached him he actually knew his name they, they knew this guy he had been in you know in, in trouble before but he got out he was trying to talk the guy down he, he didn't come out with guns drawn even though this guy had two knives in his hand uh each hand um, he came out as calm, talking to the guy, trying to get him to calm down. He ended up chasing the cop. The cop was running from him as fast as he could. And they were, they were re- literally running around in circles in the street. And the cop ended up having to draw his gun and um, ended up, you know, taking a few shots on and putting shots on this guy. And they did two or three circles. And he, I think he got five or six shots before this guy went down and finally stopped chasing him with the knives. And it was totally not what the officer wanted to do. He tried everything he could to prevent it. 
um, he was running as fast as he could. I mean, when he finished and he was trying to get on the radio, you know, to radio it in, you could tell in his voice, he was out of breath. He could barely, you know, breathe. He was doing everything he could. Yeah, that excitement and um, that adrenaline. That's what part of it he was trying to talk through. Yeah. You know? But now let's don't take that away from like a lot of cops out there who are doing the wrong thing with firearms. You know, there shooting are, the, there are those. the unarmed person. So I understand both sides of the argument, but right now, my main argument is: don't lessen me from being a, a force multiplier against a threat. Right? Sure. Yeah. Um, don't lessen the single mom who's living in um, a not so well neighborhood where break-ins occur more regularly. Don't let her become a victim because now you're doing the limiting aspect. Yeah. You know, um, what about the elderly? You know, they're, you know, not to say they live in a different neighborhood, but let's just say they live in a nice neighborhood, but somebody's been casing them out. But because they're elderly, it opens up more of a door for a possible attack. Well, yeah, there, I mean, it makes you an easier target in, in right. most people, most criminals eyes you know you would yeah. choose that elderly yeah or what about the what about the guy who is possibly a police officer now his house is getting cased out he leaves for work now the wife is at home by herself she has a false sense of security because oh my husband's a police officer but then when he's not in the picture now she's getting banged around she knows where the firearms are she doesn't know how to properly use them but let's just say one instance, she does get three shots off and they hit center mass. Assailant goes down. You know what I'm saying? But then let's turn it around. She fires off three to five shots and they all miss the assailant. Now he gets his hands on her, take the firearm from her, and then uses it on her. You know what I'm saying? So there's still both sides of the argument. But at the same time, I would rather have it and not need it versus need it and not have it. Sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, um... I carried, I recently, uh, we talked about it on a podcast, but I recently changed my um, carry gun to a higher capacity gun. Mm -hmm. And I am very proficient with, with my pistol. I'm, you know, we compete all the time. I'm the state champion in the open division where I compete. I'm, I'm proficient with my firearm. I'm very confident with my shot placement. Even at that um changing from my previous uh slimline carry gun which is a glock 43 which is a great gun um but it only held eight rounds um which i am confident that i could put those eight rounds where i needed them to go but even as much training as i've had and my confidence in that firearm changing to a gun that has higher capacity just made me feel so much better it made me feel much more confident than I was before carrying that smaller gun. This was when, um, you know, all this pandemic stuff started happening and we were seeing groups that were attacking individuals and people being pulled out of cars and stuff like that. It started uh, making me a little concerned that maybe my little eight round gun would not handle a group of people <laughs> if I had, you know, if I was in that situation, I'm going to need something else. Right. Um, um, and if you, you know, most people don't have the training or are as proficient as I am. And this still made me feel better. Uh, man, I would hate to, I would hate to limit, uh, you know, magazine capacity for, for someone, you know, like, like we mentioned, yeah. less proficient, um, elderly, you know, some situation like that. 
you know, a lot of times when we practice and, you know, people try to turn it around. Well, the cardboard targets ain't shooting back. Right? That's true. Yeah, it's, that's true. But <laughs> that's true. Now, that's not... there are a lot of people who shoot competition. They might talk that talk like, oh, yeah, I'm this, I'm that, until the shots going to start coming back at them. All right. Now, that's a whole different argument, a whole different fight. But right now, what we're talking about is if you seeked out the desire to get the training, why not use competition as practice for the training you just received? All right? You're not paying nobody an extra two or 300 bucks. You're actually applying what you learned from the class that you paid 100 plus for. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Stay relevant in the fight. You know what I'm saying? So apply what they teach you. And then the more you do it, the better you're going to become. And it, it just isn't pay somebody, go to a class. Now you're sitting at home, somebody breaks into your house because you're not going to remember what you learned at that class. You know what I'm saying? You don't forgot that because you're only going to go back to the last thing you actually remember. Mm -hmm. Where's the yeah. gun? Oh, spray and pray. Exactly. And, <laughs> um, you know, you and I both, we, we try to do several classes a year and get trained ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think I've ever left a class like immediately left a class, a better shooter. No. I don't, no. that's, I don't think that's what classes teach you. And I don't think that's what they're meant to teach you that they teach you skills that you have to right. de develop and work on over time. Um, I want to say the last three classes that I went to, or the last three classes that I'm actually remembering right now, when I left that class, it opened my mind to say, okay, I need to focus on this a little bit more or Right, I right. trained on this prior and I can't believe I forgot it. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. let me step back to it. Yeah. And sometimes I like, you know, retaking classes just for that purpose. You know, if it's something right. I haven't done in a year or two, it's a great refresher. And then, right. you know, to get, get that going again. Um, yeah. So now coach B, you took a couple classes earlier this year, the last part of last year. So what is your take on the classes or taking classes and then applying it to life? real life situations. I think that's a good, good idea that everyone needs to do it. Um, that's really why I got into competition shooting is from taking my CWP. And then um, I um, got into, you taught me into doing a competition. Then at that point, it was kind of a, okay, this is where my practice is gonna be is I do competitions, so I'm always pulling the trigger. And if something was to happen, I would be ready as much as I could be. So I, I feel like it's important. I, I agree with that. But I also think when you need it, you're not thinking, you're just reacting. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's that's what I've always believed by mm -hmm. uh, and. Like I said, of course, I discovered that many years ago in the military with all the drills we used to do. It was like no more thinking about putting a magazine in. It was just natural to right. That's do it. it was like, that's oh, the point right. of the training. You right. can you can think about other stuff. Right. Like like the people right. that are shooting back at you. Right. Exactly. You don't have to worry about the gun manipulation and, and right. you know target it's already ingrained in you. Trigger work or any of that stuff. <clears throat> um, but in the end, everybody, please contact your 
elected representatives, get active, right? Put your words to use, put your keypads to use to write those representatives, pick up the cell phones, call them. Like I said, if you don't know who to call, contact me and I will help you reach the person who you need to reach and, you know, have that conversation with that elected official about these law changes that I deem to be about to be an infringement on um, your safety, you know? So um, outside of that, any other topics, either one of you two want to hit up on that we didn't reach up on? We covered a lot. Yeah, yeah, we did. You know, I'm actually thinking that um, Coach B might be leaning towards the camera now. <laughs> Am I right? Am I wrong? We're gonna, we're gonna, right. Oh, here we go. We 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 we're breaking the ice. We're breaking the ice. <laughs> no, it's it took you what two years to get me on the microphone <laughs> to do the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it was that's about right right there. I still think we should start out with the the black silhouette, your face blacked out, and. The, white light in the background oh man well, <laughs> we you know, try that. Yeah, now if, if we do that she has to go to a different location because then that means i hold on hold on coach be about to talk i gotta turn the light out man. turn the light on <laughs> I, hold on back I reverse everything <laughs> you know <laughs> so um but yeah so let's go down um, get ready to dive into this conversation with rob pinkus and listen to what we actually spoke about as far as 3D printing and how it can benefit the two-way community. Rob has, uh, has some great classes he offers too. And I'm, I'm, I really like to get in on a couple of his classes. I looked at his website. He offers some really cool stuff that I've never had training in and uh, some, some close quarters uh, pistol manipulation stuff. And um, I'm, I'm very interested in it. Looking forward to the uh, interview. Yeah. So, um, for those of you at the beginning of this discussion, we actually started talking about the rule changes for USPSA. So if you want to learn more about that, you can head on over to USPSA.org and look at the appendix changes as far as the rule changes go. Or you can go head on over to YouTube and look up the channel called Manny Things. All right. And Manny things is the one who actually won first and third place alex mansfield so um go check out his channel and he actually has a video on his channel where he's talking about the rule changes within uspsa very so, cool i think he knows everything about our podcast too if you have any that, questions about our podcast you could probably ask him man i was actually <laughs> amazed like this guy was just rattling off the answers i was like holy cow man hold on <laughs> i think the only question that wasn't answered was um what was your van called? Holster. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so, well, um, uh, we haven't talked about that one in a while. It was this season. Maybe yeah. he got started late. <laughs> yeah, probably. But um, <laughs> I, yeah, it was kind of at the beginning of the season. I and think probably so. one or two times where it was slipped in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just joking around. <laughs> We've talked about it since I've been on. Probably. But it was just like. Yeah, it just it was wasn't like a, yeah, yeah, it wasn't an in-depth conversation. So I I met one of our one of our listeners at a match a couple weekends ago and um I didn't drive the UAV and they were disappointed in it. They were they were <laughs> they were hoping to see me roll up in the red van at the at the range there. So <laughs> thank you guys. The oh, UAV is still alive. I just uh, haven't been driving it lately. <laughs> That's it right there. <laughs> All right, so let's um 
let's go ahead and dive into this commercial break. And um, like we said beforehand, um, please head on over to YouTube and look up the channel called Manny Things. I want to say many things, but Manny Things. Um, and his name is Alex Mansfield. And his channel is revolved around a lot of things that he likes to do within his spare time. It just isn't shooting. It's shooting and everything else he has an interest in. He has a podcast also. Yeah. So what's his podcast? Oh, hold on. <laughs> yeah, you bought it up. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so head on over to YouTube and um, look up the channel, Manny Things. His name is Alex Mansfield and give him a follow and comment on a couple of his videos. Like I said, um, we actually turned around and Coach B was actually looking at one of the videos where it was talking about the real changes for USPSA. Okay, so I got it. It's Manny Talks Shooting. There you go. So go head on over to Manny Talks Shooting and listen to what all he has to give as far as his perspective within the realm of shooting. You know what I'm saying? So if you will, please go ahead and um, lean back in them seats, put them sunglasses on or your glasses, depending on your driving ability. <laughs> Turn it does AC. Hunter's HD gold zone. There you go. Or turn up the AC or the heat, depending on where you are in the country. And here are a few words from our sponsors. Yo, 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 this is Keita Bussy, and you are listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, Go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. The Gun Cleaners. Our solvent is... I think second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially with concealed carry. The gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result is another, and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there. Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com. Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, and the marked up prices that come with a brick and mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store and sent to a federally licensed middleman called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina concealed weapons permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAE Transfers. Thank you for your business and I look forward to seeing you soon. 
I'm Jason Pratt, Masterclass USPSA shooter, owner of Brass Monkey Bullets. If you're interested in competition bullets, visit www.brassmonkeybulletsllc.com or call me at 423-967-1063. For more information, my email is brassmonkeybulletsllc at gmail.com. Thank you. What's up, good people? This is Michael Woodland from M-W Tactical. This is Coach B from M-W Tactical. And we are asking for your help with two GoFundMe campaigns that we have started. The first one is we are making a professional movie and it's gonna be about our day-to-day life within the sport of shooting. Details about this campaign can be found by visiting gofundme.com forward slash we are making a professional movie. The second campaign, we are asking for you to donate to give financial assistance for those who cannot financially get the training they deserve. Remember, there are a lot of first-time gun owners out there, and I am asking for everyone in the gun industry to come together and make our community stronger. For more details, visit gofundme.com forward slash free firearms training. Remember how important training is to keep everyone informed and safe. What's up, good people? Thank you for sitting through the commercial break, and we're back at it again. And this week, we have a friend of mine who you will not believe half the stuff I'm going to tell you when I tell you, but you might laugh about it. This guy has been in the game for a long time, and I started following this guy back in the early 2000s. Very knowledgeable, very smart, someone who I enjoy talking with, Because every time I talk to him, I take what he says and apply it, and it actually works. So without spoiling anything else about the introduction, I want to introduce to you my friend, my buddy, Rob Pincus. What's going on, Rob? Hey, man, how are you? I I appreciate that. Uh, I I kind of feel old right now. That was a long time ago, right? (laughs) But uh, but I know you were probably, what, like in third or fourth grade, tuning in to some radio show I was doing? No, no, not like that. Not like that. Um, actually, I started following you. I was stationed in Fort Benning. So it was mm-hmm. closely around of the 2014, 2015 era. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's been a long, long, uh, this year would have been my 25th shot show if, wow. uh, if we had had shot show. So it's been, uh, 25 years officially in the industry and, long lot longer than that through you know writing through some of the magazines and and obviously like law enforcement stuff like that so it's been uh it's been great though and there's there's new stuff happening all the time man so i'm glad to catch up with you because i know you're involved in some of that new stuff too yeah correct correct um you know like i was talking to the co-host earlier and i was telling him that you was going to come on to the show and he started laughing he was like you actually know him and i was like funny story i had his phone number in my phone for like five years and just actually used it for the first time last month. <laughs> he just yeah. started like, are you serious? I said, yeah, that's how it went. Like we <laughs> legitly talked on the show at SHOT Show, gave me his phone number and said, call me whenever you need me. I never used it until last month when we actually started talking on the phone. <laughs> and then he right, was like, right, wow, yeah. that's crazy, yeah. But you know, that's, that's I try to be, uh, I try to like, you know, kind of be uh, like omnipresent, right? Like I want to get in on the podcast and I want to get on the magazines and TV shows and the radio shows and obviously teaching on the range. 
my own platforms, all the social media. And, you know, you do such a great job of reaching out and communicating to people um, in a way that, but I've never had like the discipline to do my own show, right? Like I've been on a show, I've hosted a show, I've written the shows, whatever, produced some of the shows. But as far as just like regularly delivering content on a schedule that the audience can predict, that's so important. And, and being just engaged in that consistent way. So I, I, I appreciate you giving me some bandwidth on your channel and, and uh, the work that you do to help spread your message and the messages of, of others around the community. Hey, I appreciate that. And thank you. And we're going to make this work together. All right. Yeah, there you go. So I want to go ahead and dive into it. And as I stated at the beginning, you are somebody who's been in the game for a long time. So you've done trial and error, and I'm pretty sure you saw everything take place and it's probably happening for you like the third or fourth revolution because shooting is shooting. And how many times have you seen the same predictions or states or books come back or forth in that circle again? It's interesting. You know, that there are some things definitely that cycle. And, and some of those things that cycle are, are challenging to, to deal with, like, third time, fourth time, fifth time, because there are things that kind of like we've tried that kind of a thing. Right. But, but I also don't want to come off like the old guys, like not willing to consider something. Mm -hmm. So sometimes something comes around enough times that it actually evolves or maybe like technology catches up or the politics catch up or, you know, something evolves and changes that, Oh, now it does make sense. Right. So I'll give you an example, like um, red dots on pistols, right? Red dots on pistols is something that I, I, I don't know. I think I, I shot my first like optic on a pistol. I'm sure in the 1980s uh, and I owned my first ones in the 1990s. Right. And there were a lot of different types out there, mostly only appropriate and only really even meant for competition shooting. And they, they were big and, and the, the mounts were big and they were heavy and, you know, it just it wasn't something that was even considered very realistically for personal defense uh, 20, 30 years ago. But these things existed and I used them and I shot them in, in sportsman's team challenge and I owned them for recreation. I used them for hunting. Uh, but, you know, that it, nobody really took it seriously for defense. And then it would come back and somebody would make something a little bit smaller or they'd make a mount that was a little bit more innovative or a little less bulky. Maybe you could still use a holster. And somebody would say, hey, check this out. And then, of course, the RMR, you know, maybe the third, fourth time that I really seriously looked at red dots for defensive pistols, we finally had a reasonable technology that was appropriate for carry, right? At least for law enforcement, maybe military law enforcement SWAT like that, maybe concealed carry with the RMR. But there were still problems, right? What were some of the problems when the RMR first came out? Well, you had it doubled the cost of your pistol for sure. By the time you bought the optic and had your slide cut and got it mounted, you were easily doubling the cost, if not more than doubling the cost of an appropriate defensive pistol. You were uh, you had a learning curve. There was a reliability concern. There was. And then there's the question of what are you really gaining? Well, everybody will look at competition guys. They must be gaining something. Sure. You're gaining accuracy at distance you're gaining precision i should say at distance you have a higher level of, of hitting a, a shot that's a further shot or a smaller target and maybe then there's a place where you're gaining some speed as well on a larger target at kind of a medium range over what you would do with intuitive shooting or traditional sights so does that benefit justify the learning curve the potential failures and the added cost for concealed carrier for the average patrol officer? And I think the answer was still decidedly no five years ago. Right. 
Now we get to the point where we've got like, like, so for example, on this gun, which we'll talk about a little later, it's kind of an interesting gun, but, but right here, I just happen to have like the latest, greatest hollow sun enclosed emitter model that is much more, it's cheaper than the original RMR in an enclosed emitter. The enclosed emitter solves some of the problems of, of potential failure points. We know these things are proven and reliable. You can get not that model, but you can get some models for less than 200 bucks. 300 bucks for ones that are out there very popular. I think that one's about 400. And yet, and oh, and also, of course, now the guns come with slides cut for red dot sites. So you're not really adding, you're not, you're certainly not doubling the cost. You're not adding anything more than a good light or a light laser combo would be. And it's easier to integrate these with holsters than it is a light laser combo on any defensive gun. So now it's like, okay, well, and, and there's instructors like Don Edwards, who's one of our PDN contributors and others who've really dedicated themselves instructors to just shortening that learning curve and figuring out the right techniques and the right teaching points. So if we've overcome some of the learning curve, we've overcome some of the reliability and we've dramatically reduced the price and sort of the investment in time, money, and effort to own one of these things. Now we have to say, okay, let's go back and revisit the, the benefit. Does it help at, at 10 to 12, 15 feet in any way? No, probably not. Probably not ever, not anybody. But because it expands the capabilities of the gun and the shooter to further distances or some other situations, it's definitely time for Rob Pincus after 30 plus years to say, you know, I'm not going to tell a student that it's a distraction. I'm not going to tell a student that it's a novelty. I'm not going to tell a student it's a gimmick and they don't need it. I'm going to tell them, okay, it might help you under these circumstances, but understand it probably isn't going to help you under the most likely circumstances and then make your choice from there. Right. right. So still learn intuitive shooting, still learn traditional sighted fire. But yeah, I'm kind of at the same place with them as I was with red dots on ARs 20 years ago. Right. 20 years ago, we weren't saying you had to have one. But today, yeah, the, the cost and the reliability and the ease of use. If you don't have a red dot on your AR, you're kind of like, oh, oh, that's cute. Right. Yeah, it's like, yes, you can use iron sights, but why wouldn't you? And right. I think that red dot sights on pistols are going away. So some of the stuff that recycles, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on it. Other things, it's like, no, we're, we're still not doing that. Right. Now, I w when I was in the military, and this was roughly, let's say, eight years ago, nine years ago, I was sitting in a meeting, and we was talking about the red dots. And they were starting to talk about putting red dots on the pistols for the soldiers and we actually went to the range and we did like some tests and you know had like somebody briefing us on it and everything by the time that meeting was over with I stated this is going to hit and it's going to be the new norm in about the next 10 years and I said it eight years ago and it's just now I feel like it's just now catching because I seen two officers in the last month in two different states that were having the RMRs on their carry pistol. Yeah, we're seeing it now. In fact, I took a class here with Greenline Tactical that was at, uh, one of the only two approved transition courses for uh, Jacksonville. Jacksonville's just north of the uh, ancient city shooting range here. It's the largest agency in the area. What they said was, okay, officers, you can, you can do this. You can put red dots on your pistols, but you have to take an approved transition course. And I think Jared Reston and Don Edwards, the green line are the only two that got their courses approved, at least up to whatever that was a few months ago, six months ago when I took the course. 
And, uh, and I went through his course and Don's a friend of mine. He teaches the combat focus shooting stuff, the intuitive defensive shooting stuff. He's one of our certified instructors. He also develops his own curriculum for different things. And uh, the integration was really, really nice, really efficient. And, uh, and I enjoyed the class. And obviously, I mean, I got plenty of friends who've been doing this for a long time and, and plenty of our instructors that have switched to, to uh, Red Dots. Um, I'm still not running a Red Dot on a carry gun, um, but I do have Red Dots on some of my stage defensive pistols. Uh, but it's not my primary. And, and there's still issues. And, and I carry a single stack. At, well, now I'm with a shield magazine. I don't know if the Glock 48 is considered a, a single stack anymore. But I carry, you know, a slim compact gun and, and it's pretty streamlined. And again, I'm not I'm not of the opinion that that red dot's going to help me in the vast majority of defensive shooting situations, nine to 15 feet. So I haven't made that jump yet personally. But again, for me as an educator, it's not about what I do. If somebody says, well, what gun do you carry, Rob? If you're asking me because I think you're going to want to go out and buy one, I'm probably not even going to answer the question in a straight way because I'm way more interested in helping you understand what you should buy for yourself, not not really what I buy or what I like for my reasons, although I'll, I'll tell you and I'll explain it. So as an educator, I think it's infinitely more important what I see my students doing, what I see my students using, what I see my students needing or benefiting from or what I should warn them away from. And as I said, the evolution on red dots has gotten to the point where I'm saying, yeah, it's not as much of a distraction. It's not as much of an expense. And the, the, those two things mean, go ahead, maybe invest in, it's kind of like a, you know, a white light. A lot of guys are like, well, if you don't have a white light on your gun, you don't have a weapon mounted light, you're, you're wrong. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get it. Like as a, uh, as a cop, as a SWAT guy, as a military guy, I get it. As a long gun, I, I kind of get it even for home defense, but primarily for concealed carry, I should never be worried about identifying, like searching and finding a bad guy. And if I need light, I'd much rather have a handheld light and my hand on the gun or my hand on the gun in the holster with a handheld light as I'm looking for my family or I'm looking for an exit or I'm moving to a barricade place. So I'm not big on white lights on guns, even though I understand it for average civilian defense and certainly wouldn't tell somebody not to, but I would tell them not to make that their primary light. And I think I feel the same way about red dots at this point. Like, I'm not gonna tell you not to, but you don't need it and it shouldn't be your primary and only dependent means of aiming the gun. Our friend, Kevin Dixie, he and I have this conversation quite often because, you know, he keeps saying, hey, you need to put a light on your firearm. And I was like, no, I don't. <laughs> you know, Man, I w- I, OK, so Kevin was sitting 15 feet from me last mm-hmm. night doing the training talk live with Derek Poole and Barrett Kendrick because uh, he was down here working with me. He's a PDN contributor now. Um, so I actually, I was driving across country and this will get us into talking about 3D printing. So I, I was driving across the country. He was supposed to have flown down here Wednesday and I was going to pick him up the airport. And I was driving from my Western place in Colorado down here to Florida. So I said, uh, he, he sent me a text in the morning. He goes, hey, you're still picking me up, right? And I said, I'll pick you up in Atlanta and you can drive down with me because I'm driving through because he lives in Atlanta now. I said, or, you know, you can Uber or you can wait for two hours at the airport because I'm running a little behind. And he's like, Okay, pick me up. Cool. I'll cancel my flight. And he went to the gym and I picked him up in Atlanta. So we drove down. We spent five hours driving down Wednesday night and caught up a little bit. And then uh, we did all that video work yesterday. And he flew out this morning. I think he's got a class coming up in Virginia this weekend. But he gets to the truck or I pull up to his place and he and I know where you know I've been there before. So I, I pull up and I backed into a parking spot kind of across from his place. And he's standing out there with his Pelican case and he's looking at me like, why don't you pull up so I can put my stuff in the truck? <laughs> I'm like, I gotta, I gotta make some arrangements first. And I'm, and he's like, looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, well, come over here. And so he comes over and he looks around. I put the window down in the back of the, uh, you know, the crew cab truck. And he looks in there, and I got that 3D printer 
running in the truck. I got the seats folded up and the 3D printers in there running. So I was just arranging some cords so he could get into the passenger seat because I was literally printing a gun while I was driving across the country. And he looks at me like, you know, I don't, <laughs> just shakes his head. I'm like, come on, man. You know, I'm a geek. You know, I'm going to do some technology. Right. So, but we had a good, good laugh over that. But, uh, but yeah, he's, he, he and I do not like, so he's a PDN contributor now. Right. And he's one of our tour instructors. That doesn't mean we agree about everything. And that's right. really important to, to hear, right? Like for people to know that we're all friends and maybe we're not all friends, but a lot of us are friends and we all teach in the same space and we might be aligned 70% or 80% or 90%, but it doesn't mean we teach everything exactly the same. And, and Kevin and I have had a lot of great discussions about the things that we don't necessarily teach the same, but we understand each other's philosophies. Right. And, um, and like I said, that's the most important part because if everybody taught the same way, there's no options there. You know, it also so. becomes very much an echo chamber, right? And, and yeah. you know how it is in the military and law enforcement, it's very hard to evolve. It's very hard right. to change. So if everybody's teaching, even if we all say, okay, we're all going to have a meeting. And then in that meeting, we're going to decide what to teach. And then we're going to go out and teach all the same thing. Well, then even our students hear the same, that it doesn't allow for creativity. It doesn't allow for space, right? Mm -hmm. And for evolution. So um, I am, I, I get a lot of static sometimes for being very dogmatic. And, and the, the thing is, I will never tell a student, hey, this is just a way. It's not the way. You know, right. you're going to have to decide because I feel like they're paying me 20 something plus years in this industry, 30 plus years teaching. I, I need to have made a decision, right? They're paying me to make a decision to tell them what I believe is best for them. Now, I may be wrong. And certainly I've changed my mind over time. And there's things I taught in 97 or 2007 or 2017 that I would never teach today. And I would tell you that that's dumb but I right. thought it was good then. So when I, when I say it's, this is the way, what I'm saying is this is the way I think you should do this today when I'm teaching you based on all this history and my observation. I might change my mind in 30 seconds when you give me a new piece of information or when in, in two days when I see somebody else doing something. But today I need to be passionate about what I'm teaching you because this is life and death stuff and I owe you the best information I have. That's the only way I get to sleep at night is I right. gave you the best I could. So I don't do that self-deprecating kind of fake humble like, hey, maybe it'll work. I don't teach people three different ways to do things. You know, I, if I had three different students, I might, you do it this way, you do it this way, you do it this way for different reasons. But everybody from me is getting what I believe is the best and I'll explain it and defend it. And, and a lot of instructors won't do that. They'll just, they'll say, they'll say things like, well, you know, you got to make a decision. This is your choice. You're all grown people. You have the gun, you have the responsibility, second amendment. I'm just here to facilitate your decisions. And it's like, nope, that's not me. I'm here to tell you what I think is best. And if you don't want that, pay somebody else. Exactly. So now I do want to segue away from the training aspect because we, we're going to come back to it because this is going to be a two part interview. So we're going to come back in a couple of weeks and we're going to talk, finish the conversation. But as you stated, you got two 3D printers behind you. OK, and I'm new to 3D printing altogether. Right. So my journey is understanding the machine which I think I got a grasp on that now, which is downloading the files and understanding how to slice it. And I'm doing more stuff for my daughter far as, right. for instance, like she would a couple of weeks ago in school, they're learning how to tell time, right? So when I was drawing a clock on a piece of paper or using my watch, it wasn't resonating with her. So I'm printing out a toy to help her understand time and everything, right? That's awesome. Yeah. So now pushing forward, doing some more research. And then one day I came across an article 
and it was talking about making your own firearm from the 3D printer. And I was like, is that even possible? And then the more I dove into it, you know, and then that's when the conversation between you and I opened up about 3D printing, right? So now I'm trying to understand CAD and, you know, like a, a lot of people go to college just to understand CAD. <laughs> yes, they do. You know, and I so, know why. Oh, yeah. So like right now I'm at that point where I'm like, okay, I need notebook paper and I need to figure it out on my own because that's normally how I do things. You know, yeah. I sit there and I doodle and, you know, my little mathematical equation I do. But I'm, I think I'm starting to get it from the beginner aspect of it. Because like when I was asking you, like, okay, what programs are you using and how are you doing this? And when you replied back and I was like, okay, cool. So now I'm, I'm starting to understand it, but I don't have a grasp on it yet. But you pretty much took that same path also because you actually put the video up of you doing a printer, putting it mm -hmm. together. And then you was talking about, you know, the laws and everything associated with it. And I know you got like a lot of pushback behind it. But can you explain to us your journey with going yeah. into the 3D portion of it with the firearms? It is. So for me, it's it's three it's three months. It's almost um, it'll be three months next week that I've been doing 3D printing. And people are, and when I say that and then we, we're going to talk about some of the stuff I've done and, and I got two printers running behind me and all that. And that sounds like. I'm, I've done a lot or I'm doing a lot or whatever. And I will say, yeah, I think that for the average human being I've, in three months, I probably jumped ahead. I mean, two days after I had the printer, I had a, a workable frame that I could put parts on and shoot. Right. Mm -hmm. The very first thing I did though was make a cat for my daughter. Right. So it's cool. Like, like here, when you said that earlier, you had the thing running and it's doing something for your daughter. The very first thing I did, I got that printer, put it together. People can see the video. And I, um, you're supposed to do calibrations. Right. And I'm just not that guy. I'm not, I don't, I'm not like the measure twice cut once guy. I'm like the cut it and hope guy. And then if the third time it doesn't work, like, okay, I might go measure something. I don't know. But when I measure something, it's going to be like, oh, it's a, it's about a stick mag and a half. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm probably not even going to have a measuring stick around. So I'm not the craftsman in that way. I'm very much a go for it kind of intuitive gut feeling guy when it comes to anything. Right. I got like Dremels are my favorite gunsmithing tool. Mm -hmm. So I don't do a lot of this kind of hand, like I don't do woodworking and stuff, right? Because I'm just not good at the finish part, right? Uh, Thanksgiving. So here we are, mid-March, getting ready to be mid-March. Thanksgiving um, week, I see an advertisement for a printer. And I hadn't really looked at 3D printing seriously. In fact, let me just, one second, I'm going to jump off the camera. Uh, grab some stuff. This, these are... These are 3D printed models. So for people that don't know, I uh, am an owner in a manufacturing company called uh, Avidity Arms. And we're bringing the Avidity Arms PD-10 or actually an evolved version of this pistol to market. You can see there's a serial number on this. This is a traditionally manufactured frame that came out of a mold that cost almost $100,000 worth of molds that we've got. Um, and that, that, that's what this is, just like a Glock or P320 or whatever else, same, same kind of thing. And then it, you put the parts in it and we've got a gun. Now we haven't sold any of these yet, but we have a manufacturer's license along and, and we have been manufacturing along the way we've had 3D prints done. So this is a 3D printed model of the PD-10 that I think I pay, I think this is like six or $700 a few years ago, just to be able to put this in my hand and feel it. Now you'll see that the rail on that is different from the rail on this print and the trigger guard is different. This was the very first 
3D printed one that we had of all the parts. And this one, I, I think this was over $1,000 because it included the slide and all the internal parts. But, and that's where I said, oh, well, this trigger guard is too big and it's not round enough. And we don't need a rail all the way to the end. We just need a shorter rail. So this prototyping through 3D printing, this one I spray painted gray because we knew eventually we wanted it to be gray. Otherwise, it's the same as this. These also have the old plastic rails. Um, we have changed that design. This is an old frame uh, that this is PD0003. We've actually changed that design as well, even in the mold. So 3D printing has been part of Rob's world, right, for, for years, but I've been paying other people to do it. But I was paying a little bit of attention to it, and I knew that there was a printer out there called the Ender 3, and that people were using the Ender 3 to print guns. What I didn't know is that an Ender 3 is less than a $200 investment. I never would have thought, I'm paying hundreds and thousands of dollars for 3D prints. And it's like, when I saw that, I'm like, that can't be right. Like, this is bait and switch. This is like Russian hackers. I don't know what's going on. So I followed the link because it was a Good Friday or a Black Friday uh, sale. And it was like, so I went in and, and looked at it. And then, then I saw this Ender 5, which the reviews were like, oh, the Ender 5, which is actually this one with the yellow gun back there. This That is a more stable one. It's a little bit easier for people that don't want to, manufacture things and like balance and calibrate and all the things I don't do. So I'm like, all right, I'm jumping into an Ender 5. And that was $270, mm -hmm. $250 something dollars me on sale, Black Friday. Got delivered. I went to Reno. I taught a course and I was, I'm building polymer 80s. Like I'm, I get the whole gun making building thing. It's just been a long time since I really got into it. Like, like metal, filing metal parts, 1911s back in the 1990s. Right. Otherwise it's like Legos, right? It's block parts or ARs. Mm -hmm. So uh, I teach a class in Reno about second, the, around December 15th, I get back to Colorado and I knew that I was going to be spending almost the whole rest of the month in uh, Colorado. I was going to fly to California, do a class. I had, I had to come back to Florida for a couple of days, but mostly through the holidays, I was going to be in one place. I was like, this is a perfect time for me to try to figure this out. I put that printer together. Um, there's a time-lapse video, probably took about 90 minutes to get it together, get it set up. And then you're supposed to print these calibration cubes or what they call uh, temperature towers, right? and to find make sure everything's right check your steps find out the extruders filling you pushing the filament the right way i don't have the patience for any of that i just jumped right in there i stuck the little card in and i actually was going to print the calibration cube but as i was looking as i was spinning the dial looking through the files for calibration cube i saw a cat mm. and my daughter's in the, she loves cats and i beep, hit the little button and just sat there and wait and watch and it started printing a cat and the cat came out and it was cool and it takes like seven eight hours right and again i don't have a lot of patience but it was overnight so woke up in the morning i had to take my daughter to school but before she went to school i gave her the cat and she thought that was the coolest thing that we had a robot that made toys so she's five right and it's like yes we do and then she left and then immediately i went and downloaded a file from defcad i think it was one of the free men don't ask block 19 files which i don't have that pistol here um, but, it, but it's kind of like this one, which well, I'll talk about this in a second. So um, printed that out and, and, it, and then it was rough, but it, it was workable, right? Take sand it. And immediately I started sanding, like the grip is a little blocky. So immediately I started sanding down the grip or drum, dremeling it, whatever I was doing to change the contours. And I was like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever thought about doing. Why, I'm, I got the robot and I have the software. Let me learn CAD because that's me, right? I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to learn this. So I get a uh, Fusion 360 and I was like, oh, wow, this is not easy. This is not intuitive. This is this is hard. And I'm autodidactic. I like to like I'll put on a YouTube video and try to learn that way. I ended up getting some distance FaceTime tutoring with a guy, the guy that runs On Mission Arms. If, you, if you're On Mission Arms, a super cool company. They, 
um, have developed and sold uh, this little jig for putting together gas blocks on ARs, which people who, who do gas blocks on ARs know what I mean. Putting those pins in can be a little goofy sometimes. This little jig makes it super easy. So they were selling this. And uh, one of the guys involved in that company is a student of mine in the pistol side. So I reached out, I'm like, do you guys, you guys help me with CAD? So I actually did some face or Zoom meeting um, coaching with CAD and learned enough to start doing contouring of grip frame, of the grip, the frames in CAD and then printing them the way I wanted. So like, for example, this gun that I was shooting this morning, um, you can see I've got like this flared magazine well, I've got my Triquetra logo on there. I made a little bit of an angle change up here. Um, I put on here Gunmakers Match. We're gonna talk about that in a second. Gunmakers gun makers Match 2021. So I do that in CAD and I started playing with Glock frames, um, changing angles, changing contours, making them more comfortable for my hand. This one you can see has uh, a shelf there for a right-handed shooter. It's got a little uh, swell back here, which again, this isn't pretty because I'm not a craftsman pretty guy, but it's comfortable and it fills the hand and it makes it more like that deep CZ kind of grip, which I enjoy more than the blocky straight block grip. Um, again, this is a straight line groove. I get set up for a right-handed shooter, right? A high shelf for the thumb there. Um, so I've been customizing these guns in CAD and printing them to, as you said, get to know the printers, get to know the CAD and learn it. And the project that I'm really excited about is I'm taking this PD-10 frame and in CAD, I have modified it so that it's a PD-10 contour, same kind of logo, triangles, all that stuff, but it now takes Glock parts. So what I'm gonna do is now you can take Glock 48 parts and a Glock 48 slide and put it onto one of Rob Pincus's design frames, the PD-10 frame, and this is called the XPD48, we're calling it. Uh, and this is going to be, I'm going to give this to the 3D printing community. As soon as, you know, it's not quite ready. I actually have some guys who are really good at CAD helping me. They took my work and one of them said it was like Escher. Um, another one said that I crashed his like supercomputer with my non-geometry, like physics were impossible. There's no way this could work. And I'm like, no, it works. Look, <laughs> like, no, we have to fix your CAD, man. <laughs> so they're they're tweaking it for me, but but it, but this is something that I'm doing now. So I'm going to be I'm a traditional manufacturer on the Avidity Arm side. I make my own guns as an individual, no serial numbers, just me as an individual. And then what I'm doing in the middle of that space is I'm taking the design I did for Avidity Arms, and I'm going to make it with accessible to off the shelf parts because you can't buy an Avidity Arm slide, right? But you can buy a Glock 48 slide. And I'm going to give this to the 3D printing community and say, go tweak it. And now it comes back to that conversation we had about training. It becomes open source. Right. Uh, a thousand people are going to print that frame and they're going to start doing their tweaks. Just like I tweaked what Gaston did. Somebody's going to tweak that. And I might see somebody do something. And I say, you know what? We're going to put that into the mold. And the Avidity Arms guns that you can buy in your gun shop might have some inspiration from the 3D printing community. And I hope other companies start doing this. I think so that's it might the be story. A trend. Yeah, I think it might be a trend that catches when you look at it from that standpoint, you know, so pretty interesting how, like, I've heard some people say, well, why did they do this? If they would have just done this, this would have made it better. Exactly. So now that gives you the option to do that. And now when it comes out, now the company is like, hey, smart idea. We didn't think about that. Let's push forward with it. Absolutely. So that's so, so that to me is super exciting, right? The fact that I get to tinker, I get to tweak, I get to customize stuff and put my logo. I mean, I, you know, I got a lot of tattoos. I can, I got logo tattoos. I can say, okay, well, I like that symbol. I like that phrase. I like this. I'm going to put it on there. And, and this thing with the gun makers match has really taken off. So 
I knew that Guns for Everyone, um, GunsForEveryone.com, Guns for Everyone National wanted to start sponsoring competitions. And the Are We Cool Yet? AWCY, what? No, yeah, dot arms on Instagram. The Are We Cool Yet? community is a 3D printing support community for people that are doing high end development and bringing newbies in. They really kind of, I, I hit it off with a lot of those guys right away found them to be super helpful coaches in, in some of the tweaks and do I need this upgrade or do I not need this and really helpful. Um, so I really hit it off with those guys. And now we're actually working, I'm doing some collaboration with some of their designers and development guys on that uh, XPD 48 project, right? So that community wanted to find more ways to help mainstream the 3D printing thing. And they thought it was cool that like the old guy in the gun community was now all of a sudden 3D printing. Right. So it was uh, so that was the collaboration. It was like, well, why don't we do a match, right? I'll, Guns for Everyone National wants to sponsor matches. I can host it here at Ancient City Shooting Range, and we can invite two to two groups of people for gun making. So it's, if you go to gunmakersmatch.com, we've got a division for the, the Polymer 80. Let me give them some love, right? So we've got a division for the, the Polymer 80 style um, kit builds, right? So for people that build guns from kits, and then we've got a division for printed guns. And in each division, we're going to be shooting pistols, rifles, and pistol caliber carbines or braced pistol caliber uh, pistols. So it's um, a match that will happen here on June 19th with two different divisions, all about gun making. So if, if you don't make your own gun, you can't compete. And it's really about fun. It's going to be more about the fun than the competition. But one of the cool things, as soon as I started making phone calls and sending texts, Polymer 80, boom, instantly in major sponsor. They want to buy everybody lunch, prizes, this and that. Brownells, boom, they've been selling parts to people who make guns and modify guns for 50 plus years. They were in gun policy, uh, at gun policy on Instagram, Firearms Policy Coalition, boom, major sponsor. Uh, DefCAD and Ghost Gunner, they're giving us one of the $3,500 Ghost Gunner 3 tabletop CNC machines that we're going to give away as a door prize. Right. Serbu Firearms, you know, there's a six month, I think, waiting list for their RN. 50 50 bmg rifle um serbu's coming in and giving us a, one of those guns gun owners of america is coming in to support it um obviously second amendment organization which i'm the executive vice president of we're supporting it uh riptide rails is giving us some prizes uh, 2a 3d print is making some really cool prizes and plaques uh best worst idea who based here um brian sable he's going to be doing some plaques for one of the divisions uh I, i'm sure i'm leaving people out but it but it's been amazing to see the response we've gotten from the industry, NASGW, National Association of Sporting Goods Wholesalers, they're the trade industry organization for the largest distributors and manufacturers of ammunition and firearms on the you know, in the world. The big companies are part of NASGW. They're a supporter. Um, I'm talking to NSSF. I would love to see NSSF, National Shooting Sports Foundation, have a makers section at SHOT Show 2022 a do-it-yourself section for the 3D printing companies to come in, for the filament companies, the parts companies, the clubs like Are We Cool Yet can come in and talk about how they support the community. I mean, I remember when there was no law enforcement tactical section at SHOT Show, when you couldn't show fully automatic firearms at SHOT Show, right? Because mm -hmm. it was the shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show. There was no tactical. You weren't allowed to show it. It had to be hidden from the show floor 15, 20 years ago. So there's all kinds of evolution, as you said, that I've seen. I think we can do a do-it-yourself support from the community of gun industry professionals and embrace this. Because I'll tell you right now, if we don't embrace it, we don't mainstream it, and it just looks like a bunch of people doing shady stuff with guns that don't have serial numbers, it's gonna get legislated against. Yes, yeah, somebody gonna come in and start attacking it, so. Well, they already are, ghost yeah. guns, right? These untraceable firearms. Yeah, 
So it gets crazy in that aspect when you turn around and you look at it like that. But um, when, when we was talking a few weeks ago, you was telling me about this competition. And I was like, man, that's pretty interesting like that because you was doing a class or not a class, but a group where y'all was doing like a bill party or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, you, can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so what, what we did is um, I ran a five-day instructor course in uh, Reno Guns and Range in Reno, Nevada back in the first week of December. And I think this is our third year in a row at that location that week, the week after Thanksgiving, running a, a class. And it's become a little bit of a gathering for the leadership in uh, ICE Training Company and the Intuitive Defensive Shooting Program, which also now we wrote the curriculum for USCCA's Defensive Shooting Fundamentals. So there's a big overlap with the Defensive Shooting Fundamentals USCCA instructor group and, and the people that have been teaching my stuff and working with me to develop the ICE training company material for like a decade or more. So it's a bit of a leadership group. So what we decided to do was do a team building, right, uh, with the capital building uh, project that one during the week. So while the students are, you know, out studying after day three, a bunch of the leadership got together and we did a polymer 80 um, build party. Now, one of the things with building a gun is you have to build it yourself. If you want to build a gun for your own personal use, you can't have like you can't just buy the kit and be like, well, my buddy's better with tools than me. So I'm going to I'm just going to have him do it. Now I have my own gun. No, he just committed a felony. Right. You cannot build a gun for somebody else if you're not a licensed manufacturer. So it's, it's interesting the way you have to jump through some hoops. Right. So a lot of the guys that were attending weren't really familiar with the rules and the laws and they weren't, they had never built guns. So they, you would think, well, why not just, you know, have this guy who's really good with whatever a file help me out with this. He can coach you. He can tell you, he can watch you, but what he can't do is take the, the file and the, the, the non-gun the, that, and turn it into a gun. But here's the fine point, right? As a manufacturer, I have to put a serial number on this at a certain point in the process, right? Once I sell this to you, you can certainly take this to a gunsmith or to a gun shop and have them put the parts on there. And yeah, people do it all the time. You buy a Glock, you get an aftermarket slide and an aftermarket barrel and a new trigger and you put it together and it's just not quite right. So you go into the gun shop and you're like, hey man, can you help me with this? And they take it apart and you're like, oh, you need to polish this. Or you need to straighten this or just lubricate it or whatever. Put it back together and hand it back to you. That's not illegal. So the thing with the polymer 80 kits is this is a, again, a non-gun object in this jig, right? So you might've heard the term 80% lower, obviously polymer 80. We're trying to get away from that term because there is no such thing as an actual measurement of 80%. The ATF just says, yes, you can sell this as a non-gun object. We use 80%, but it's a little bit dangerous because if this is an 80% firearm and somebody wants to try to legislate against that, well, here's the problem. Is this roll of plastic a 1% firearm? Right. You know what I mean? Because if I take this and put it in that machine and tell that robot how to do it, it's going to turn this into something that the ATF would consider a firearm, right? This. But somewhere along the way, it's more like this. It's not regulated. And this certainly isn't regulated. I buy this for $25 from Amazon. It shows up the next day. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful about this percentage thing, right? It's either a gun or it's not. So here's the deal. Once, once this becomes a gun, so when you file off these things or the slide will go on, when you get rid of that, you either drill that or dremel that or file that out, mill that out so that the, the recoil guide rod and guide spring, the recoil spring will go in there. And you drill the holes so that you can put the pins in to hold the rails and hold the trigger group and hold all that stuff. Once you do all that work and it is essentially now a firearm in the eyes of the ATF, now absolutely I can take it to a gunsmith. So when you picture like, 12 guys in a room with a 
with a couple drills and some vices and a lot of files and a lot of sandpaper and a bunch of plastic and a bunch of Glock parts, it just becomes important that for the integrity of it and for the, the legalness of it and to set the right example as educators and instructors and gun rights advocates, for example, if you take the drill, you put the drill bit in and you drill your holes through the jig, right? You put it in the jig and it's got the hole, you drill the hole. Then when I'm done drilling, I take the drill bit out from the drill and put it back down. And now the next guy sets the tool up and does it himself because if if some people were busted out in california like a shop basically like they they sold the kits and they sold the parts and then you went into the next room and they had an assembly line set up where you just mm. put the jig under the drill press you went like that then you went over here and the, the, the whatever the end mill or the grinder you just said okay put this here and then it did the thing and then you went over here and then somebody helped you put the parts together while you watched a video maybe with the parts guy or whatever and it's like all of a sudden the, you know, people, the ATF essentially looks at that and says, well, that's not the intent of making your own gun, right? That person just put a quarter in a machine and a gun popped out essentially, right? So that's not the same. So they saw that as trying to circumvent individual gun making rules. Uh, so it does have to be a personal project. It has to be a hobby. It has to be something you do yourself. You put your hands on it. And that includes whether you're printing it and you're doing the CAD and you're hitting print, and you're putting the card in. And then when the thing comes out of the printer, as you know, a lot of people don't know, it doesn't look super pretty usually. Um, you know, it's kind of pretty, but it's got this stuff called supports. So you have to remove the supports, right? Which is relatively easy to do. And then you can see this stuff comes off and then you've got a surface and that surface isn't perfect. And by no means am I saying my prints are the best example, but I'd say this is a pretty, pretty good example. So I have to take that. Now I have to take a file or a Dremel or something. I have to file this down and get this smooth, right? The holes, I have to clear those holes out so I can put the pins in there. Obviously, I have to like break this stuff off so I can get my finger in the trigger guard. I have to break this stuff out so that I can put the magazine catch in there, right? If, if the uh, right now I've got a piece inside of the, where the trigger housing goes, I've got to dig that out. So there's some finishing work that needs to get done. And you, you take that off and you throw it away. And then eventually, once you get it smoothed out and fixed, it looks like this. Right. And then once you get it smoothed out and fixed and the holes are all there, then you go from this to you put the parts in it. And when you put the parts in it, then you go shoot it. This one I just shot, I just put a video up on my Instagram. I'm gonna do a longer YouTube video. This one just was shot for the first time. Um, it worked the first time I went out there and shot on the range about hundred yards that way. And this, what's interesting about this is this is the gun that was printing when Kevin Dixie got in the truck. So the, <laughs> the top half of this, and you can see there's a little difference where the parts that were the part we print from the bottom up, it was laying like this. So it gets up to here and somewhere around here was when we got to the office and uh, here and I just and then we took it out of the truck. The print, the, the printers have a pause resume option, right? Especially if your power gets cut and it saves where it is in its internal memory with I don't know how, much, how long it lasts, but let's say it's an hour or two. Well, it took five minutes to get the printer from the truck to the, the desk, the table and finish the print. So this started printing while I was driving uh, across the country and then finished printing here. I put it together and just went out and shot it. So this is a, a functioning Glock that uh, we just shot. Another one of the other guys out here that was training, he came to a friend of mine, he videoed me shooting it, then I let him shoot it. And it's been great, you know, it's, it, that's super cool. So, you know, in three months, yeah, I've gone from, I don't know how to do this, let me try, to making a cat, to customizing Glocks and printing them while I'm driving across the country. Nice. <laughs> so, um, like I said, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into it and going that way with the hobby of everything but i'm nowhere close to where you are right now i'm still probably when you was at month one i'm probably still there 
but what I need, because I'm like, I'm just like, you know, intense, right? It's like jump into it. And, and so I know I've put a lot of extra time. It's, it's three months and I've been doing other things. I run around, I go teach classes, go to meetings, go back and forth to my place in Florida, my place in Colorado, spend time with my daughter, travel, all that. Visited my, visited my older daughter in Nashville, my granddaughter. It's not like I'm just sitting in the basement working on this, but it's working in the background or I'm collaborating with people. And I, I'm sure that I have, have I've, I pushed really fast, right? And I'm trying to get a lot done. My guess is that by about the time of June 19th, when we do that makers match, I probably will have pushed through what my brain like was really interested in and done on. And, and it probably this summer, like I may not be doing it that much, or I may have it and only be doing it for research and development for Avidity Arms stuff, or I don't know, you know, or maybe I'll be printing, you know, a gun a day because it's still fun. But right now I'm absolutely putting a lot of time, effort and energy into it. And, and again, the advocacy and the awareness, I think it's really important to mainstream this hobby. If you do a Google search, like if you go back like, like six months, a year ago, and you looked for 3D printed gun information, really what you found was, was the kind of thing that gets attacked, right? It's right. the kind of thing that makes it real easy for gun control to come after it. It's guys in masks, you know, fully gloved up and everything else. So you, have, you can't identify them posting videos on Reddit of guns that would last two or three shots before they broke. And, and if that's the only image people see, and then the media is saying, well, police are recovering untraceable ghost guns. And then, you know, every town and Giffords and Bloomberg and Pelosi and Schumer and everybody's saying, oh, we can't have people making their own guns at home and everyone will die. And, if, and then people go, is that real? And they go look for it. And you don't see guys like me and you, you don't see the industry supporting this. You don't see companies like Brownells and Polymer 80 and other companies supporting events like the Gunmakers Match and seeing support from the trade organizations, NASGW, NSSF. If this doesn't get mainstream, what ends up happening is they're right, right? They look at it and say, oh, it does look like just this isn't serious and this is something we can shut down. And all of a sudden, remember what happened with the bump stock? Right. Nobody cared enough about bump stocks to defend them. I want more people to get involved in this hobby so that more people and more companies and more industry organizations are interested in defending our right to build guns and own guns that we made without regulation under the Second Amendment. This is part of our right to keep and bear arms. Right. That's true. That is it. So like I said, I'm, I'm diving into it. I'm having fun with it so far. Um, I like to learn. So like I said, a lot of times I'm hitting up people asking a ton of questions because that learning curve is not easy. No, <laughs> it's yeah. not easy. But the good news plenty of people in the community that are interested in helping, right? And I Correct. and I I was you you were hitting me up and I'm like, man, you gotta understand, like I just I just wing it, right? Like somebody <laughs> asked me, uh, well, oh, it was you actually. You yeah. said, Well, like, what about the driving down the road? How does that work? And mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh, let me explain the science to you. So these printers are basically robots. Mm -hmm. Robots can sense human fear. And if you act like you're afraid of printing while driving, they it won't work. So you gotta be brave. <laughs> Exactly. Now, I don't know that that's really science, but that's how I did it. And, right. and so that doesn't help, right? You're like, right. no, really, what did you do, Rob? I plugged the thing into the little AC port on the Ford F-150 limited onboard inverter, and I put it and I printed it like I was sitting at home, but also I was driving. And, and that's all I did. I didn't do anything special. I don't have really good answers, right? Well, right. well, how did you, you know, why did you, how did you print the cat without doing the calibration cube? I hoped. I don't know. Like, and it worked. Right. So, so I just, so I'm not super rebel, but the guys that are, we cool yet inside of that community on the, the matrix platform and encrypted communications platform, the, there are some really brilliant people there who are passionate. Like I can teach you defensive shooting. We can go back to talking about red dot sites and pistols and grip and angles and positions. I, that's what I do. 
on this stuff, I'm a hobbyist. I'm just enjoying it and having fun with it. And I'm really, I can inform you. I can tell you what I've done. I can tell you what the possibilities are, but I'm not ready to teach this stuff yet. There are other guys out there though who are really good at it. Yeah, that's it right there. So now I know you said you had to get ready to go here. Yeah. We're a little bit over, but how can the good people contact you, look at the um, material that you have for all your training stuff. And then more importantly, if somebody wants to watch or be involved into the 3D printing contest, how can they follow that and get in contact with that? So gunmakersmatch.com. Um, the, the event is being run by Guns for Everyone National. So you can look at uh, gfenational.com. Guns for Everyone is an organization that's done, I think, over 40,000 now uh, free CCW classes, mostly in Colorado and out west. And Guns for Everyone formed a nonprofit called Guns for Everyone National to sort of take their ethos and their project of getting as many people educated about firearms and responsibility as possible across the country. They took that to a national level with Guns for Everyone National, and they are sponsoring this competition. Part of their mission statement is to, to put on competitions to foster, you know, responsible, fun gun use, not just defensive training. Um, they, they, people can also learn about that then at gunmakersmatch.com. To learn about what I'm doing with 3D printing, follow my social media. So at Pinkus Rob on Instagram, at Pinkus Rob on uh, Twitter, uh, Rob Pinkus, P-I-N-C-U-S on Facebook and my YouTube channel. If you go to my YouTube channel, I'm putting out a lot of cool videos. I, I think they're cool. Showing kind of the progress, the flaws, the blemishes, the fun that we're doing with 3D printing. On the training side, on the more serious side, that's where you go to personaldefensenetwork.com. And as I said, Kevin Dixie's a contributor. We have hundreds of free articles and videos there. And then we have a paywall if you want the advanced stuff, the premium stuff, even more information, personaleventsnetwork.com. You can also find information about the training tour and the live classes that I and a bunch of other instructors are putting on under the banner. Um, we've got some great sponsors this year. Um, Hollow Sun is back with us. Um, Winchester Ammunition is going to be with us. Weber Tactical Holsters is with us. Um, so that's fun. Primary Arms Online, what place where you can go to buy your polymer 80 kits. You can buy your parts kits. They're supporting us. Um, so I would go there uh, to find the training info and then my program called intuitive shooting. You can also go to intuitive shooting.com and learn about the IDS program. And there's books and videos and use the Google people can find. Hey, that's it right there. So like I said, we're going to bring Rob back in a couple of weeks and have part two of this conversation. So we can finish talking about the whole training and the 3d stuff. And if you're on YouTube right now, as you could tell, Rob is actually showing you the close up of his prints that are coming out on the printer right now. And, so. and just by example of how this isn't all perfect and wonderful, like this printer is tuned in right now. This is the one that I brought out from uh, the Western headquarters that came out from Colorado. You can see it's like clean, you can see like it's clean and nice. This printer is having some struggles. This printer is having a little <laughs> bit of an issue. Um, as you can see, I got some wires out here. So I'm, I'm, I'm working on tweaking this and getting this one uh, better. But the good news is if you look inside, it's actually still pretty clean, right? So that's right. going to work. It's just not pretty. This one's going to work and be pretty. So that's right. exciting. Dude, thank you for having me on the show. Hey, no problem. Like I said, I'll be um, staying in touch with you. And um, we're going to go ahead and schedule for a couple weeks the next time we actually talk. That's perfect, man. Thanks. All right. Take care now. Um, so that was Rob Pincus. And for you all who all listen, hey, come back and listen to part two for that. But for everybody else. Please stay in your seats and hear a few words from our sponsors. Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, 
and the marked up prices that come with a brick and mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store and sent to a federally licensed middleman called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina concealed weapons permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAE Transfers. Thank you for your business and I look forward to seeing you soon. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunters HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunters HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be, come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing the Hunters HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com, and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. Mental Health and Guns. At Walk the Talk America, we're working with both the mental health community and the gun industry. Created by a gun industry veteran, Walk the Talk America seeks to raise awareness and create change through suicide prevention and firearm safety without legislation. We strive to eliminate the prejudice that firearms and mental health face. For more information and to support Walk the Talk America, please visit walkthetalkamerica.org. The gun cleaners. Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially if you still carry. The gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com thank you for taking the time to hang out with us on the m-w tactical podcast remember a new podcast comes out every tuesday if you can't wait for tuesday go listen to past episodes to catch up on what you missed make sure you visit www.m-wtactical.com and see what all is offered on the site where you can even purchase M-W Tactical apparel. But please, go to our Facebook and Instagram page and follow us on our journey in the sport of competition shooting and the realm of the two-way community. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun.